You're listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. And you know how your tummy grumbles when you see a yummy cake commercial on TV? Well, that is the mind-gut connection. And here's a chat about how to use that connection to improve your mind. How about them apples? Literally. Welcome to the Party in My Plants podcast, where I make healthy living as fun as a party so you'll, you know, actually want to do it and then actually feel, look, and live your best. I'm your host, Talia Pollock. Now let's get this party started. I am over the moon excited about today's sponsor. Friend, this is my dream sponsor. The, oh my God, is this real life sponsor? The sponsor I've been dreaming about since I was a little girl winning card-giving holidays with her reliable tearjerkers, ending fights with soul-spilling letters left on people's pillows, and surviving college by avoiding all test-taking classes and taking only essay-writing ones. No, this sponsor is not a pen or a computer or those yellow papermate sharp writer number two mechanical pencils that you turn the tip of, which I've used religiously for two decades. This sponsor is the thing I've been writing up to my whole life. It's my book. My first freaking real life will live in stores if stores ever open up again, but can live on your shelf right this second book. Party in Your Plants, which has been called in an Amazon review as the best plant-based book ever, as well as a cookbook that's way more than a cookbook, and a plant party heaven. Readers have also said that it's the best healthy living guide for your kitchen that you must purchase pronto. And so I'm here to tell you that you can promptly purchase Party in Your Plants, 100 plus plant-based recipes and problem-solving strategies to help you eat healthier without hating your life anywhere books are safely and sanitarily sold. Partyinyourplants.com will take you to all the major retailers or you can just hop your fingers over to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Target, or Walmart to buy yourself and your best friend and their best friend a copy today. That's partyinyourplants.com to grab a copy or 19 of my book that Amazon readers say you must add to your cookbook stack ASAP because it gets all the thumbs ups. She's a Harvard-trained psychiatrist, a professional chef, a trained nutrition specialist, a food psychiatrist, and just an overall foodie brainiac. This chat with Dr. Uma Naido covered how the state of your mental health often starts with what you eat for dinner. As she says, happy gut, happy mood. We talked so much about mood-boosting stuff, including the gut and the brain and how they're way more closely linked than you thought. Heard it here first before it goes mainstream, okay? Now, this is a chat that will have you turning your ahs into ha-has and will have you revamping your shopping list. Yes, if you're on a prescription, it won't hurt to try out these brain food tips. And no, I'm definitely not telling you to swap out your meds. As Dr. Uma says, you have to eat anyway, so adding healthy brain food to the plate is kind of a low-hanging fruit. Her pun, not mine, but I wish it was mine. (laughs) Uma, thank you so much for coming on the Party in My Plants podcast. 
Uh, thank you, Talia. I have been dying to talk to you. Oh, oh, I've been dying right back at you because you have such, such an interesting combination of credentials. So we're going to have so much to talk about. You are, in case you forgot, a Harvard-trained <laughs> psychiatrist, a professional chef, graduating with your culinary school's most coveted award, and you are a trained nutrition specialist. So essentially, you're like a food psychiatrist. <laughs> How did you blend your passion for cooking and psychiatry? How did you get here? You know, Talia, I wish I could say that I had a grand plan, uh, yeah. but when I was five, I wanted to be an astronaut. No And way. it was kind of interesting because I had this this family that, you know, very large Indian family, uh, lots of doctors, but also some Ayurvedic practitioners, great love of food in the family and a lot of meals that were eaten together. And so I knew that I loved food and I knew that I loved science. And there were lots of cooks in the kitchen because there were mm-hmm. grandmothers, mothers, you know, aunts, older cousins who were cooking. So I didn't need to cook, but I learned how to bake because I love science. And Mm. um, I feel like, you know, when I started to study, I really took that spirit with me and in my uh, adult education. And and when I moved away from home, the things I could take were my spice blends or my mom's recipes for spice blends and family recipes to maintain that connection. But I also then learned uh, to cook and I learned to cook later in life when I was when I was studying. And food and being in the kitchen became a really mindful space for me and a space to be creative. So after a hard day of studying and, you know, hitting the books, it really was a space where I could unwind. And I discovered that in myself and I paid attention to it. I just, I enjoyed it and I wanted to continue to nurture that passion. So when I began learning about psychiatric medications and the fact that they do have side effects, I felt given my sort of Hindu roots and just the elements of mindfulness, yoga, meditation that I had been raised with, I thought, you know, there has to be an additional solution to just the medications where someone might also then experience side effects. And I began to explore lifestyle and ask my patients questions about lifestyle and talk about nutrition. Again, I I followed my heart and I just, I wanted to learn more. I've been a lifelong learner. And that's how adding in um, studying, you know, filled in that gap for me. But I will say that the trip to culinary school, that was just a pure passion project because Julia Child was <sighs> when I was those lonely days of studying and uh in, in, in Boston and, and not being able to afford cable television, she was on she was on public television, uh. you know, crossing and flipping omelets and dropping stuff, but really having a sense of humor and being deeply intelligent about food. And when I read and understood and learned more about her that she had um gone to culinary school later in life, almost as a second career, I thought, well, hey, if she can do it, she, you know, she's my food hero. Why can't oh I? Oh my God. And, and so that's what took me to culinary school. And I, when I went, when I talk about that plan, when I went, I didn't think, oh, I, I want to combine it with my clinical work. I really wanted to learn more. But you know, fortunately, it came together in a in a way that I feel very blessed about. So, oh, the coolest way! That's so awesome. Oh, Julia Child, <laughs> I did. That's so awesome that she inspired you. That's so. I just think of Meryl Streep, though, <laughs> when I it's think true. of Julia Child. Oh, the giblets, giblets. Um, that's <laughs> awesome. So, but you know, the the last thing you said, how you didn't imagine them connecting the food and the mental health. 
but then you've found that they do connect. That is the a magic of what you've done here. Explain to me on a very basic level, how do the two intersect? How have you found food and mental health connect? Absolutely. So, you know, I should clarify that when I sort of followed these different learning pathways, let's just say, I didn't necessarily think that there was a gel, you know, that that they all blended together. But as I explored the different pathways, I realized that there were common grounds. And one of them was the mere fact that People were having conversations with their doctors about, you know, gaining a few pounds over, let's say, COVID or, or, you know, a family history of diabetes, but they were not associating the most important organ in the body, our brain, because the brain runs everything else. Without our brain, we, we cannot actually function. Um, so the, the conversation was missing something. And I felt that that needed to be filled in. And part of it is that as doctors, we just, we don't learn nutrition or enough nutrition at medical school. So that was a gap. And I began to notice that, you know, there are not only side effects of medications, the way that and what people ate was also impacting them. But there was also the ongoing and really burgeoning research around the gut brain axis and the microbiome, which really brought it forward in a much more powerful way that when you explain to people that the gut and brain are connected and that here's how, and this is how food can potentially affect your emotional health, it starts to make a little bit more sense to people. And that's really how it came to be for me. So can you explain the how of how our gut and our brain are connected? Sure, absolutely. So, you know, the gut and brain, although they're far apart in the body, they rise from the exact same cells in the embryo. And um, they remain connected throughout life by the vagus nerve, which is our 10th cranial nerve, which I like to call a two-way superhighway, uh, mm -hmm. connecting, uh, you know, connecting the gut to the brain, the brain to the gut, and acting as a uh, pathway, this highway of two-way messages that continue all the time. And then, you know, there's the powerful fact that we talk about serotonin as the happiness hormone, mm -hmm. but more than 90% of serotonin receptors are found in the gut. So when you share those facts, people, you know, it begins to make sense that what we eat then starts to impact our emotional health. So I think that those descriptions are helpful. And then understanding that the microbiome is a very powerful part of our body now. And it houses upwards of 29 trillion microbes. And those microbes are there to help us. And how we nurture them and look after them, um, you know, as you would, for example, Talia, plants, you know, mm -hmm. if you, you look at this and you nurture those, those microbes by how you feed them. But if you don't feed them well and you feed them kind of junky food, then they they're not going to do well, and the bad microbes are going to take over the good microbes. And that's when the, there can be a change in the microbiome to be not so great for your physical and mental health when inflammation gets set up or the imbalance, which is called dysbiosis. So it's really understanding the pathway in a, in a simple form um, and that there are many more details I go into, the, into in my book about the different conditions and different uh, microbes or bacteria that have been identified and research and that type of stuff. But that's, that's really in a nutshell. Um, how we eat impacts those microbes, impacts the pathways of chemical messages that are uh, converted and then can impact our mental health. And is this something that like is 
really cutting edge? Like, are other people talking about this or have you really made this connection and are now sharing it with people? Let me put it this way. The information is, I don't, I don't think everyone considers it mainstream because not everyone is practicing this way. And frankly, not only psychiatrists, but physicians on the whole, we're not trained in nutrition. So we expect to counsel patients on, you know, diet for hypertension, but you know, we really haven't been given the tools. So I, I think that I really operate more from the perspective that the information is there. It's a slow and growing field. You know, I, I liken it to um, the years when um, Herbert Benson, who founded the Mind um, uh, Body Program at Mass General Hospital, the Benson Henry Institute, um, really was talking about mindfulness and meditation and, and all of these components that not many people knew or understood. These are the days before, you know, yoga studios were at every corner. Um, and that type of thing. So so he really brought forward that movement. And I think that nutrition and mental health is in its early days, but it's it's a very powerful time to use our nutrition for our better mental well-being. There's no better time, actually. But are other physicians practicing this way? I think there are some doctors in functional medicine and in lifestyle medicine who care deeply about this. But in terms of psychiatry, you know, we are few and far between. And nutritional psychiatry is really uh, is really something that we are beginning the conversation on. Um, I've, I feel like I've been doing it my, my entire career, but it's, it's time has come and I, I hope we can share that message more broadly. Well, it's tough because, and I've heard um, this said that as a psychiatrist, you're working on an organ that you don't actually get to really see. Like, it's crazy. Like you're not looking at someone's brain. You're just here, right? You're just hearing what people describe as their experience. So you're not able to like see how the brain changes in response to someone's diet if they make changes. Is that correct? So that's also correct for psychiatric diagnoses as a whole. Um, so I think that one of the one of the concerns I have about our diagnostic classification is that it doesn't cover all um, all emotions in terms of how people are feeling. It uh, diagnostic categories don't define people and shouldn't. And so many, so many people are suffering. And psychiatrists, it's not as though we can go in and do a brain biopsy to right. know um, what the condition is or the response. You know, it's unlike pneumonia where you can culture someone's sputum, take a chest X-ray, uh, do a blood culture or whatever the many tests are. So I think looking at it from that perspective, where food is something that you 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 are eating, you're eating every day, you're eating several meals a day, you can make better choices. And we can certainly see the emotional impact because people in a in a very cliched way will talk about how they feel after they've eaten something, but no one makes the connection back to mental well-being. And I think that that's the gap. So you're right, you know, we we we're not at a point well that's not entirely true because we can check blood levels and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's really responses um, and a slow and steady following of a plan being invested in it and making healthier changes to how you're eating that takes care of the microbiome. And we know that is one of the mechanisms that it very powerfully can affect mental health. So how can you tell without looking if diet and nutrition is positively impacting one's mental health is it's just based on their reporting of their emotions and experiences so 
But I would ask you that I would ask the question back before I answer mine. Mm-hmm. If you are taking a psychiatric medication, how does your psychiatrist assess, mm-hmm. you know, how a person is doing? It's a symptom cluster that we will ask questions. We will ask the side effects of those medications. We will, in many cases, always check a blood pressure, check some vital signs. In certain medications, check a blood level. Medications such as lithium or others, you know, or Depakote need a blood level to be done. Um, Um, you know, for certain antipsychotic medications, we want to check metabolic profiles. So those are the parameters within which we work. So for me, um, to answer your question, it wasn't a leap because I felt that there was so much about nutrition that really should be brought forward. And nutrition science is something that does share information about the quality of food, about the impact on our bodies, about how vitamins, minerals, fiber in the foods could impact us. And it didn't, to me, seem that, I guess, unusual to be asking individual symptom checklists how their emotional health was doing using scales that I would if I were assessing a medication. And that's really how I developed the protocols around it. And then also having someone be seen regularly, seeing how they respond and to notice that when they start to exclude certain foods because they, for example, have symptoms of OCD, you know, just cutting out certain foods helps to improve symptoms. Some of those individuals may also have been taking medications and some of those individuals have milder symptoms, um, but will use food as a component to, to work on it. So it's a great question, Talia. And I think that, you know, um, it's, it's a good way to sort of compare to how we assess medications. What's so cool about that is you literally (laughs) just like basically said food is medicine. That's so cool that you just check in with your patients with their food changes the same way as you would their medication. That is amazing. Absolutely. I well, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm, I'm glad you find it that way. <laughs> I, do, I do think that it's it's a powerful tool that we, in some ways, we sort of overlooking, right? Because we're eating meals. We, yeah, in a you lot know, of ways. <laughs> uh, exactly. You know, we just sort of, we don't, we, why, why don't we up our game in that way and help ourselves feel better? So what are some of the first food changes that you will suggest to somebody who's starting to work with you? Or does it vary depending on the type of mental health struggle they're coming in with? Like, do you suggest a different dietary change for anxiety or brain fog or bipolar or depression or insomnia? So, you know, the specific food lists for each condition are in the book, and we and I also focused on foods to avoid, but also long lists of foods to include. But there's a there are some general principles, and then there are specifics for each condition. Mm. So, you know, for example, people don't always realize that nitrates in processed meats drive depression. Um, but, you know, there are some commonalities, for example, omega-3 fatty acids and fatty fish or plant-based sources will help symptoms of both anxiety and depression and have been shown in clinical trials. So there are some overlaps and then there's some basic principles. And then the most overarching important thing is my nutritional psychiatry treatment plans have become highly personalized because really medicine is, is heading in the direction of being highly personalized. And so it should be with one component being the the uniqueness of our microbiome. Wow. So are there common foods that just generally help our brains? Absolutely. So there are foods um, starting out with, 
you know, say, let's start with plant polyphenols and all the antioxidants, the rich colors and why we say eat the rainbow. Um, it sounds maybe sometimes cliched or, other, you know, many of us say that, but what does it actually mean? It's the different hues, the different colors, the different antioxidants. All of those bring back very, very powerful nutrients to those microbes and ultimately to our brain. The antioxidants, you know, will break down radical oxygen species, which can cause our body's trouble if they're not taken care of. So all of that, the antioxidant, anti-inflammatory effect of those um, actual foods, and then the nutrients, vitamins, minerals within them, as well as the fiber, are very powerful. Um, another easy thing to talk about are the use of pre and probiotics in fermented foods. Mm -hmm. So right there, you know, you these are things we, we may be consuming, but we often don't make the link back. You know, uh, probiotics have been studied in comparison to antidepressants. So, you know, there's a good amount of knowledge out there. So, so for example, prebiotic foods are ones that feed those good microbes. And they're things like the allium family, you know, onions, leeks, garlic, and so many more. Um, probiotics can be a supplement, uh, but they can also be the live active cultures in dairy or non-dairy yogurts. And then fermented foods, which bring back good microbes to the gut. So miso, tempeh, kombucha, you know, sauerkraut, all of those which which really um, help the gut microbes thrive. So there, there are those sort of common pillars that we should be thinking about and then very specific uh, foods as well. So would you say the rule of thumb here is that good gut health equals good brain health? Is that the way to think about it, that what's good for our gut is also good for our brain? Absolutely. So, so you know, I say um, happy gut, happy mood. And one of the reasons that my book is really based on the gut-brain axis is because of the really growing, burgeoning, ongoing research around the connection. So one way to think about it, in addition to lifestyle measures and multiple other things, um, including, say, you know, the elements of a holistic, integrated and functional model of psychiatry that I practice, um, one way is, yes, taking care of our gut health is one of the pillars that we need to be paying attention to. So you keep talking about your book, your brand new book. This is your brain on food. Talk to me about it. What is it about? Why did you write it? Who's it for? Absolutely. So the book um, it was launched during the pandemic, Talia. So oh, it ends me up, too. It ends up Right, exactly. It ends up being a book that anyone can use because we're all sort of struggling uh, with some level of, you know, discomfort, emotional and or physical during the pandemic for different reasons, whether it's a stress level, whether it's job loss, whether it's, you know, um, losing loved ones, whatever the stress may be in there multiple. Um, I think that it it really is intended for everyone because I feel that with the upcoming statistics that have been shared during the pandemic, such as, you know, the CDC statistics that showed us 11% of Americans considered suicide during the pandemic. Oh, wow. That was very scary. So it is intended to be a guide for people to up, up our game around our mental well-being because food is... Uh, really, you know, uh, a low-hanging fruit, something we can all do because we're eating anyway to improve how we're feeling. And why not start now? Why why not pay attention to that? So it's intended for everyone. And as I mentioned earlier, diagnostic categories are a little bit 
concerning in, in psychiatry because they don't cover everyone. Many people are suffering to a different extent and may or may not be able to see a doctor or seek help. So I feel like where they can at least start by adjusting their diet, that is one way to obtaining health. And of course, if they're more severely ill, we know that they should you know, obtain um, help at a hospital with a doctor in an emergency room for a severe condition. But the way that the book came about was I'd been practicing this way and had been writing blogs for Harvard Health Publications about gut health and the connections and anxiety and different things. And a reporter reached out to me um, to interview me for uh, a piece in the Wall Street Journal. And I spoke to her. We had a great conversation and I thought nothing of it. Um, but it turned out that 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 article um, went viral. Ah. And after after that, um, uh, you know, it was also based on some of my work with Chip, uh, uh, David Boulay. And um, the, I guess after that, you know, I had agents and publishers reach out to me and um, it evolved into my writing the book on nutritional psychiatry. And that's how it came about. And, and the design of the book really was wanting to provide the, that's why the end notes are so long, providing the actual evidence to individuals if they wish to look it up around what I'm speaking about in each chapter, sort of breaking down the different conditions, what we know, where the research is at, and then making it workable and, and easy for people to see foods to embrace and then foods to avoid, um, and then rounding up with the chapter on you know recipes, how to set up your kitchen, that type of thing, but really in a simple way, you know, simple recipes, not, not making souffle but really yeah. how do you how, how do you not julia make, child you know, style <laughs> exactly you know this is how do you make you know how do you make eggs how do i how do i get into the kitchen and start because research has shown that when we eat meals at home we consume pure calories oh. and when we eat meals at home we even consume pure calories if we're not following a special diet so you know just learning a few things i'm not saying you have to do that every day but at least getting into the kitchen and learning a few recipes may be helpful for people too Oh, for sure. Today's episode is thrilled to have an amazing sponsor, Amazing Grass, who grows and bottles amazing grasses. Their green superfood powders are an insanely tasty blend of nutritious greens, phytonutrient-packed fruits, veggies, grasses, digestive enzymes, and probiotics that I can't and do not want to live without. I am an enormous fan of their watermelon energy flavor, which I drink every single morning in 12 ounces of water, plus two heaping tablespoons of apple cider vinegar and a splash of honey or stevia. But they've got a massive assortment of grassy products for you to check out and fall in love with. Oh, and their effervescence. I love those too. They're so handy for traveling. And when airplane traveling was a thing, I'd always pop a hydration effervesce in my free cup of water on the plane and drink it or drink it right in a bottle when I'd land. To make Amazing Grass even more amazing, they're offering Party in My Plants podcast listeners 30%. Yep. 30%, not some measly 10%, 30% off your Amazing Grass orders if you go to their website, amazinggrass.com, and use coupon code PLANTPARTY30 at checkout. That is PLANTPARTY30 at checkout on amazinggrass.com. So this really started for you with an anxiety article that went viral. Um, it was, I think it was anxiety. One of okay. The- the articles was anxiety and that led to the wall street journal article where they featured nutritional psychiatry and that went viral so so 
it's not a surprise to me that anxiety was a hot topic because it's probably one of the hottest topics. It certainly, it certainly <laughs> seems to be these days, you know, it's, it's yeah. been an anxious time for, for all of us. Yeah. So I want to ask you, how would you describe anxiety? So if someone's at home listening, um, is there a spectrum? I think there's definitely a spectrum. I think that one of the things we want to understand is that there are things such as a natural um, a natural component to anxiety, such and we call that eustress. And what that is, is, you know, say I'm taking a board exam tomorrow, or I'm doing something that requires my attention, and I'm a little worried, and I'm spending time studying, and, you know, I'm, I'm paying attention to it. This is good, because I, I, I go in, I, you know, take care of it, I complete the task and it's done. It's when that type of regular, um, uh, let's, let's call it a normal response, becomes more difficult to manage where a person is so jittery, so so almost worried, um, feeling anxious, feeling uncomfortable. Maybe they develop sweaty palms. Maybe their heart is racing. And it can sometimes be without stress around them that's identifiable. So it's a feeling that they really finding uncomfortable and are not say able to sleep, not able to function, get onto a Zoom call or complete their uh, work from home tasks. Those are the times that it sort of tips over into being more difficult. And um, that's when, you know, they, they, a person should be speaking to a therapist or a clinician to see what their, their options are. So if someone was speaking to you and they said they think they're experiencing anxiety, what foods would you tell them to embrace? Which I love that you say embrace. That's really awesome. And what foods would you suggest avoiding? So, you know, the foods to embrace, uh, and and this, uh, this is an easy one because really for anxiety, um, fiber is your friend. And okay. fiber is your friend because the more fiber-rich foods break down in the body more slowly. And they are very different to the times one might run out and get eat a sugary donut. So they break down more slowly. There's not none of the sugar crash that might happen. Your insulin and your blood sugar are on an even keel, and that's one way to think about it. So fiber-rich foods are great. Then, um, you know, concluding those fermented foods in your diet are important uh, because they, again, take care of the gut bacteria and are very, very helpful. Um, vitamin D-rich foods are helpful for anxiety, as are uh, things like uh, spices. So turmeric and a pinch of black pepper have actually really been shown to be effective. Omega-3 fatty acids found in good sources of fatty fish like sockeye salmon, or you know, other fatty fish are great. And if you're plant-based, then think of the short-chain fatty acids, which you can get in chia seeds, hemp seeds, flax seeds, sea vegetables, um, and and so you can obtain it that way. But I think it's also um, you know important to pay attention to minerals such as magnesium, potassium, the B vitamins. All of these become important. And then other things are teas that have lavender or chamomile in them can be very very calming. Um, but, you know, Talia, it's also important for people to know the, the things that drive anxiety. Yes. And, and artificial sweeteners are one of them. You know, someone might think, oh, I'm trying to come up sugar. Let me move to a diet soda or a diet version of something or something that has, you know, uh, no sugar added or something that they think or perceive to be 
be healthy, but artificial sweeteners really drive anxiety. There was also an association with gluten. So if someone is really struggling, they might want to think about cutting back slowly on gluten and noticing if there's a difference. Uh, I, I tend to not demonize food ingredients because I feel that you know, everyone eats a different diet these days, and we have to be respectful of each other's choices. So I don't feel someone has to give up a certain food. But if they have a certain condition that they're struggling with, I will make the recommendations around what I think could help. And we test it and really see if they have an improvement in symptoms. Um, and, you know, we know that things like caffeine, we have to be careful with if, if a person um, drinks caffeine and feels super anxious, then, you know, that is something they need to pay attention to. The studies have shown that less than 400 milligrams a day tend to be okay. But if they, you know, feel a racing heart or feeling uncomfortable, then they need to cut back on that slowly. And same thing for alcohol. It's it's all about how you feel when you have alcohol. If it drives or worsens your anxiety, you know, you need to be paying attention to that. Totally. So would you say on average, it's more important to focus on embracing foods or avoiding foods for mental health and and mood and emotional well-being? I think it's almost a balance. I think what I'd like people to take away, though, is there are many more foods to embrace than to avoid. The foods to avoid are always the shorter lists, and they're usually pretty targeted. You know, they, they, they're things that we've heard before, but people are not associating it with mental health. They may think, oh, you know, this is bad for me because I have a family history of diabetes. That's why I shouldn't be eating all the added sugar. But actually, sugar has been associated with worsening anxiety, um, refined and added sugars, as well as worsening depression. So, you know, it's a smaller list. And I think that just pay attention to both, but realize that there are many more foods to embrace, except like we've heard the expression, you can't, you know, you can't exercise out of a bad Mm -hmm. diet. If you up your game and eat tons of omega-3 in either plant-based or or seafood forms and all of the other stuff, but you're also, you know, drinking a ton of coffee, having, you know, diet soda, which has a lot of artificial sweetener in it, you're not going to experience that improvement. So it's a careful balance of, of both. And that's why understanding both lists become important. Yes. And what about depression? I feel like anxiety and depression are equal offenders in our society right now. Would the same um, foods apply, like fibrous foods and um, fermented foods, the two Fs? So definitely um, fiber is always helpful. I think fiber, I will just say that, you know, we all think we're lacking protein in the U.S., but we're actually lacking fiber. So frankly, fiber is just good for your mental health and good for your physical health. But know that from our friend, Dr. B. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I couldn't agree with him more. So, you know, depression, you're absolutely right. I I think that sometimes depression and anxiety run together. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, paying attention, there's an overlap of those omega-3 rich foods. Um, But there are additional things you can do like healthy, uh, healthy fats from olive oil, nuts, nut butters, um, avocado, um, and then vitamin, the B vitamins, B9, B12, B1, all of these that you can add through food. Spices, saffron and turmeric, they hit the high notes with depression. So adding those into your food could be great. And if you don't cook with turmeric, just add it to a super smoothie or or, um, uh, even a tea and just always add a pinch of black pepper, which makes it more bioactive. And more foods and more spices include things like oregano, as well as, you know, going back to those prebiotic and probiotic foods that we mentioned as well. So, you know, there are some specifics, but also some um, almost some pillars that we try to pay attention to. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So what also makes so much sense is if 
mental health equals good gut health. You know, if they go hand in hand, then would you say that someone with IBS or gut health issues is more likely to have mental health issues? So, you know, studies have actually shown that individuals with um, certain gut conditions actually have an association with great anxiety, some mood symptoms. And um, I've, you know, treated individuals who were referred to me for new onset, um, say, panic disorder. And when I uncover the history and pay attention to what they've actually been eating, they might have had dietary changes or they might actually have underlying IBS that, you know, was diagnosed by gastroenterologists, but they didn't realize it was impacting their emotional health. So there is an association, and I think that there are also ways to help individuals who, who, who struggle with both. And can it go both ways? So if you have mental health struggles, can that also trigger digestive issues? Absolutely. Absolutely. I've I've seen, I've seen that as well, where someone is say so stressed that, you know, one of the Mm -hmm. things that that can start to change in addition to food, there are many factors, right? But one of the things is our level of stress can start to impact our gut microbiome and absolutely. So it can go that way as well. And I've seen that happen with people too. Yeah. That's been my issue with IBS. Um, Mm -hmm. It's stress. It's boom, boom, boom with that stress. I mean, right. stress is just the root of all evil. <laughs> well, stress is like the the additional vital sign we should be checking. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's. I really feel that way because it impacts so many. It impacts all, um, all our physical health now. As yes. of course we know, it's part of our mental health. But you know, um, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So, okay. So we all know here on the Party Man Pets podcast that the standard American diet sucks. It's too much crap, <laughs> you know, chemical refined, artificial processed food. We're not fans. Tell me what are some of the most common mental health problems that you see caused by the American diet? Um, so one important thing is people don't realize that studies have actually linked uh, eating trans fats with increased levels of aggression. Oh. So that's that's an important one right there. Um, fast foods um, contain sugar in their French fries. And um, this has been based on making them hyper palatable and lots of millions of dollars of research development to make them that way so that when we eat them, we can't put them down. We don't taste the sugar, but the sugar makes them hyper palatable. So it's these, you know, it's, it's the, the, the fast foods with, with, you know, what we understand to be processed as well as the processed vegetable oils, which, which drive symptoms of mental health in the wrong direction. Um, and then, you know, it's, it's processed and ultra processed sort of junk foods that don't help us because they have colorants, dyes, stabilizers, and things in the food, which honestly are just not good for mental health. Mm-hmm. So those, um, you know, those are the very obvious ones that that come to mind when you think about the diets that we are most used to. And what are the most common mental health struggles that people face when linked to the standard American diet? So it can be a variation, but the most common are worsening symptoms of depression and real symptoms of worsening anxiety. Those are the leading ones. But if someone has, say, symptoms of OCD, it can be set off. If someone has ADHD, they can struggle more with focus. Um, So the most common, I would say, that I see by far around depression and anxiety. Other things are problems with um, brain fog and then insomnia. 
So when you start seeing someone, do you first ask them about their diet? Are you, you know, like, hey, how's your life? What's going on? And then they explain their symptoms. And then you do you put them on like a a food regimen before even trying medication? How does that work? It, it's all uh, it, again. It's, it is highly personalized because mm-hmm. some some individuals, depending on the severity of their symptoms, um, nutrition, Charlie, you know, can always be part of a, a part of a treatment plan. Um, but you know, sometimes people need a medication if someone's suicidal or has an episode of mania, or um, you know, has lost touch with reality. These are important things that might need medications and you know, in a more acute treatment. While food can always be part of it, food wouldn't be the first thing one goes to, right? So we've got to balance that up. And so the conversation always begins with what the symptoms are and whether what the conversation is. Sometimes people come in and are adamant that they don't want to take a medication. And even recently, I had to say to someone, I really appreciate that you don't want to take a medication, but given your history, given your family history, given what you've told me, the best method for you would be a combination of all of the dietary interventions I'm going to offer you along with a small dose of medication to at least calm down some of those difficult symptoms. Um, So sometimes it's that conversation and sometimes it's someone who can actually function and manage and be able to work with me in a nutritional psychiatry plan um, over time and help help symptom reduction. And that works too. Can diet help with like what you call those acute issues or like like something like schizophrenia or bipolar or like a, like a I don't want to say a real mental illness but like something more severe than anxiety which is a little bit more on a spectrum and and mm-hmm. you know yeah. can it help with those uh like mental illnesses or not really it can absolutely help those illnesses. All I'm saying is that sometimes those more severe illnesses present in a more acute form initially. And food can, in fact, someone eating a healthy diet at all times with those conditions is extremely important for two reasons, Talia. One, the side effects of medications they may be prescribed. And two, because a whole foods healthy diet is going to help them. But Sometimes they present with more severe symptoms initially, which may require um, sometimes hospitalization. That would be extreme, but it could also require some trials of medications, therapy, speaking to a doctor and a therapist mm-hmm. on a regular basis as well. So, yes, the answer is yes. These the foods, medications um, uh, aside, foods and nutrients can absolutely help. But it depends on, like you said, you spoke to, spoke about spectrum. It depends on how severe mm-hmm. the presenting symptoms are and what, what one starts with first. Totally. That makes a lot of sense. Have you found that people are generally excited and open to making dietary changes in this day and age? Or are we still living in a time where you suggest eat more kale? eat more fiber, eat some fermented foods, and people are like, ah, I'd rather pop the pills. You know, it's a, it's a combination of both. I think that more and more people are really um, caring about what they eat. And, and now that they are understanding and learning that there's this connection to mental health, there are a lot of very dedicated individuals who want to do it and who are willing to be consistent, you know, practice doing it. And then there are others who I think fall into the impatience that we tend to have, uh, you know, where we want, want something to happen immediately. And some 
sometimes the perception is if I take this medication, it's going to happen. The truth is that several medications take, you know, two to three weeks before they um, can impact change. Although someone might start to feel better sooner, it's always the hope, but they actually only start to have an impact later. But yes, sometimes someone comes in and they absolutely, you know, I, I don't, I want, don't want to do it this way. I want to do, you know, I want to take medication and that, and that's fine. I prescribe medications, but I always offer people, you know, a good menu of choices if I feel that there's more that can be done. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's funny. It's it's so personal. Food is so personal. It is. It is very personal. I once read it. something where people where it said that people are more willing to change religions than they are to change diets. <laughs> I, I think you could be right. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. So if somebody's listening and they already eat a pretty healthy diet, you know, lots of plants, fiber, uh, fermented veggies and, and foods, and they're still feeling anxious or depressed, like what would you say to them? I mean, it's sometimes it gets scary when we start really overanalyzing our diets. Then we can sort of what I call white knuckle it or, you know, add too much stress to our plate. And we don't want to do that, but we do want to eat the foods that really help us. So how do you find that balance? I think that's a great question. I feel that, you know, um, it's not just one modality. Mm-hmm. Food is a very, very important component. But And food is what I write about in my book. But my actual treatment methodology when I work with someone is that it's really holistic and integrated, always looking for root cause, uh, which brings in the functional components. So if someone is still is just is not feeling well and they are trying their best to, um, you know, to, to embrace a healthier diet, you know, including understanding that anything that they might be overlooking. Um, and sometimes I, you know, by understanding what they're eating, I, I am able to identify things that they perceive as healthy, but that are actually driving or worsening their symptoms. That's one component. Another wow. component is, you know, mindfulness, uh, therapy, other forms of therapy, uh, meditation, you know, exercise, movement, all of this stuff becomes important in and good sleep hygiene, all of it becomes important in terms of their mental health. So someone who's presenting as super anxious may actually not be sleeping. And if you're not sleeping well, and you're watching the news and you're falling asleep with, with the television on and your phone buzzing, you don't have a restful um, seven to eight hours of sleep, you, you can wake up extremely anxious. Mm-hmm. So it's looking at all of the all of the things, the lifestyle measures, as well as the, the dietary and nutritional measures that become important in those situations. They are important in all situations, yeah. but you know, given the question you asked, it's you you would want to look at that too. It sucks. There's just not one size that fixes all, huh? <laughs> <It is. laughs> How annoying. A one, a one pull. <laughs> yeah, gosh. It's just if kale was just the answer to everything, the world would be a better place. <laughs> well, you mentioned sleep. What are some I'm sure that's an issue that's that's very popular in your practice and in the world. What are some quick wins that someone might have in their kitchen for to help them with sleep what are some foods to eat or avoid or embrace or avoid Right. So the, you know, the culprits that, that people know about are things like coffee um, and the time of day that someone is drinking coffee and the amount and how it makes them feel. So that that people definitely should be paying attention to, um, as well as teas that have caffeine in them, alcohol, because alcohol can calm you down and help you get to bed, but it actually disrupts your sleep architecture. So ultimately, 
you know, you maybe should be having a glass of wine early in the day and not with dinner, not using that as a mechanism to fall asleep. So those are things you definitely want to be paying attention to. But things that you can embrace are two quick, easy things, uh, including melatonin-rich foods in your diet. Um, If you eat eggs, they are a good source of melatonin. Um, So maybe just, you know, my my trick here is, um, uh, you know, like flipping out your breakfast and having it for dinner. So having that (laughs) omelet of frittata for dinner and adding in foods like asparagus, broccoli, flax seeds, uh, sunflower seeds, all of those things actually have melatonin. So having oh. having those in the evening you know start to calm your body down send the right signals to your brain i'm kind of getting ready for bed i'm you know i'm calming my system down and that's one way to think about it but there are other things like chamomile tea that actually help do help people uh, fall asleep and some of my research showed that uh, tart cherry juice mm-hmm. um, can can help you know, can help with insomnia. But I always say to people, depending on where and which brand you get, you know, I prefer people to just work with the whole food, whether it's fresh or frozen, and make a little bit of juice or have it as a snack. Um, and if you get, if you are able to get tartary juice, just make sure about added sugars, because that's where juices get us into trouble. Yes, that's true. I remember a bajillion years ago, Dr. Oz talked about tart cherry juice and I went to the grocery store and um, they had signs and it was like, as recommended by Dr. Oz, and they were <laughs> sold out everywhere. There you go. People went nuts for tart cherry juice. Right. I'm sure they got it and were like, oh, like this is tart. <laughs> yeah, but I know that's, it's also really good for post-workout, I believe, right? Um, so I don't, I haven't, I haven't looked at that. Um, oh, maybe but I, I'm wrong. I, you, know, you could, you, I, I just don't know um, that if it's been associated with that. But you know, I know that it has a good amount of evidence related to insomnia. So I think if people That's can good. get a little bit um, and tolerate the tartness, it might actually mm-hmm. help them. Or you can get like frozen. Could you just get frozen cherries and munch on those for dessert? As long as they tart cherries, as long as they tart. So it's been the tart cherries that, that is that is a specific type of cherry. So don't just get like maraschino cherries. <laughs> <laughs> All the ones that, no, the maraschino ones in your cocktail are probably not going to help you sleep. So. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. So you also mentioned exercise a little bit. I know we're talking about food and mood, but talk to me about how exercise, How you, do you prescribe that for people as well? Absolutely. So, you know, if someone's severely depressed and finding it hard to get out of bed, Mm -hmm. I will talk to them about movement and I'll ask them to consider doing things like, can they walk to get the newspaper today? Can they go out to the local coffee shop if it's within walking distance and, you know, encourage them, encourage movement through a different lens without saying you have to do X number of minutes of exercise today. You know, it it becomes a conversation. But for those who are um, not as severely depressed, but are just, you know, wanting part of a holistic plan, absolutely movement, Tai Chi, yoga, anything that gets them moving as well as, you know, just regular exercise, aerobics, um, strength training, all of that becomes super important. You know, exercise has been associated with improvements in mood. We know it helps inflammation, it lowers inflammation. So there are many positive effects and it's just, it's just part of the puzzle that we, we have to be paying attention to. So many pieces of the puzzle. (laughs) I know. Oh my gosh. What's your favorite piece of the puzzle to work with people on? I really enjoy the food component because I feel that 
that's the sweet spot for me where it's really all of my training has come together in its strongest form because whether it's suggesting the food, breaking down the nutrients for someone, then sharing a simple, straightforward recipe with them, um, and then the mental health benefits is the sweet spot for me. So I would have to say that. That's awesome. Okay. So, well, about food, you love your food. What (laughs) is your favorite plant? My favorite plant uh, is probably, oh, that's a hard one. I like stumped uh, the doctor. (laughs) You know, I I sort of, I love my leafy greens. Like I love the uh, bite of dandelion greens when I can get them, Um, you know, but I also love arugula. Um, I love eggplant. Um, So many things. I love broccolini. So I would have to say green, you know, something in there. Yeah, but you know, I love the flavor with the, with, the, with the right spices or the right recipe. They can be delicious. Love. So what are bitter greens good for? What Any specific mental health issue? So, you know, greens actually are interesting because it's not just the folate content that is super helpful for mood. Um, and it's, you know, the, the, what we find in many leafy greens. They also contain nutrients that um, help cravings um, and they uh, feed the the actual nutrients in leafy greens also feed the microbes in a really good way. So it's not not as simple as, oh, just, you know, put together a salad. There's actual good reasons to be doing that. Um, I just happen to, um, you know, I eat an array of plants. I love colors. But, you know, I, I, I would have to say I think the, the leafy greens are generally the, my go-to. Yeah. You know, how do, if someone's listening and they're just not feeling well – it's so tough. How do they know if they're not feeling well because of their diet or because it's something like depression? If they're like, if they're just not like, what do you think someone's next step should be? Should someone first clean up their diet? You know, if, if they are right. eating processed sugar, mm-hmm. if they're not eating a lot of fiber, should they mm-hmm. first make the changes in the kitchen? And then if that doesn't improve after how long would you say, should they actually seek help from someone like you, like a medical professional? Absolutely. So I think in this day and age, and because of the stigma around mental um, wellness and mental illness, Talia, I think the best thing is to be evaluated. Just speak to a therapist or speak to a doctor and have an assessment because that person, um, you know, could assess what's going on, look at your symptoms and say, look, I think, you know, let's try to do this. Let's do, say, weekly therapy or let's try to help you this way. And none of these steps pre- avoids or does, you know, excludes the use of food. The reason I say that is someone might be listening to us today and be much more severely depressed and not realize it. And I wouldn't want that to be missed Mm. and to get worse um, and lead to something more serious. So I'd say get it evaluated. But remember that while you're waiting for that appointment, you can right now today add in healthy spices for your mood, uh, you know, change up the amount of plants you're eating by upping your fiber content um, you know, you can make those changes right now while whilst waiting to be evaluated. And the only reason I say that is someone might be, especially in pandemic times where yeah. we are a bit isolated and we may be socially distancing from, you know, other members that are or friends or family, you don't want to be alone with this. And, and, you know, now telehealth has really made even an evaluation online more accessible for people. Totally. So I'd say, you know, get it checked out and, and you can always, while you're doing that, still be using food. Perfect answer, but you forgot one thing, which is while they're waiting for the appointment, they could also go get This Is Your Brain on Food. 
Absolutely. Judgment. <laughs> and by the way, while you're waiting, go read the book. <laughs> yeah. So where should everybody go to find out more about you and your book? Can people even work with you or are you like booked out till 2025? <laughs> I'm, I'm a little bit booked at the moment, That's but I am, uh, <laughs> I am I am hosting uh, a live training in uh, over the holidays, uh, really, really to help people almost embrace the holidays with a more positive spirit of rather than be afraid of what's going to come and what's the new year going to be like, really thinking about that. And they can find out all the information on my social handles, which is at Dr. Umanaidu, at D-R-U-M-A-N-A-I-D-O-O. And you can pick up the book at your local bookstore um, or online or at my site, which is umanaidumd.com. And when you do come to my site, please subscribe to the newsletter. You'll get all our updates, all the information you need, especially if we offer special classes or um, anything different for the holidays and beyond. So I'd love that. Love to, to have people subscribe as well. Yes. And you put out such good information on social media. So people really should follow you there Thank on you. Instagram. What? Dr. Uma Naido, right? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. It's it's not, not spelt out. It's DR. DR. So, yeah. Got it. Yeah. We got it. We got it. Well, DR Uma Naido, thank you so <laughs> much for coming on and sharing this mind-blowing information. Mind nourishing information, should I say. Uh, thank you, Talia. It's such a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> you had such great questions. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the Party in My Plants podcast. I hope your head just ate this chat right up. I loved every morsel of it. If you did too, consider sharing it with someone else. And maybe even consider leaving a rating and review of the Party in My Plants podcast in iTunes. And definitely consider keeping eating those plants, my friend. For a link to the show notes of this chat, head to partyinmyplants.com slash 207. And for 30% off one of my favorite get plants in my bod hacks, amazing grasses, amazing grasses, use code plantparty30 on amazinggrass.com. And speaking of amazing, you are that. And I hope you have a great day.